I love the story I read recently about a photographer who was working on a nat- or for a national magazine, and uh, he was assigned to get pictures of a great forest fire, and so he begins to try to maneuver to a place where he can see the fire, but the smoke was so heavy around him that he decided the best thing to do would be to call the home office to see if they could get someone to fly uh, a, a plane so that he could get better pictures. So they called him back in just a little while and said, hey, at one of the local airports, we have a plane that will be ready for you this afternoon. You can pull up and and this pilot will take you over the fire and you can get your pictures. So that afternoon, the the photographer takes off and he comes to a air, the airport and he finds that there's a small plane that's uh, warming up over to the side and so he figures that's his guy so he parks his car runs over grabs his grabs his equipment runs over gets into the plane and says let's go let's go and so the pilot taxis out and heads straight into the wind and goes up into the air and he said now i want you to make three or four passes over the north side of the fire and the pilot said what He said, I want you to make three or four passes over the north side of the fire. He said, what do you want me to do that for? He said, because I'm a photographer and photographers take pictures and I want pictures of the fire. And the pilot was very quiet. And he said, the photographer said, is there something wrong? He said, well, the way you got out of the your car and ran over toward the plane and jumped in and yelled, let's go. I thought you were my flight instructor. (laughs) If we're not careful, there are times in our life where we don't know who's leading. And yet the Bible makes it very clear for each one of us that Jesus is to be our leader and we are to follow him. Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. And we're going to pick up there. We're going to read just a couple of verses out of this section, but we're going to pick up and, and look at from 1 Peter 3, 18 through chapter 4 and verse number 6. But, but read with me in, in verse number 18, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Now slide down to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he should know, that he no longer should live for the rest of his time in the flesh or the lusts of men, but for the will of God. And with that, let's pray. God, would you speak to us today and drive home the truths that we need to take to heart and apply in our life? In your name, amen. All of us at some time have played the game, follow the leader. 
In elementary school, I, I remember, you know, you'd have a line leader and they'd walk in zigzags or maybe they'd skip or maybe they'd jump and they would be the leader and however they led and wherever they led, your job was to follow. And so that's what we did. As the leader led the line, we would walk in zigzags or we would walk uh, in between the swings or maybe we would go up the, and down the slide. We would follow the leader wherever they went. Now, as we look at this passage, we find that our leader, Jesus, is one who suffered. Now, if you remember last week, the last verse that we touched on was 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17 that tells us that it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So he gives us that passage and says, look, you're better off suffering for doing good than for doing evil. And then he turns immediately in verse number 17 or verse number 18 and says, and Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And then in chapter four, in verse number one, he says, therefore, leading back to point to verse number 18, Jesus is the one who suffered that we need to arm ourselves and be ready as we follow him to suffer as well. Jesus in his life faced the devil He faced temptation, he fought the trials and faced the crowds and ultimately suffered for our sins. Jesus was our leader and we're called to follow the leader. Even if it means for us that it is better if we suffer for doing good because Jesus did exactly that. So we pick up in verse number 18 And as we see in verse 18, we find that Jesus is to be our leader. That Jesus is to be the one that we follow in our life. Jesus, our leader, suffered. Verse number 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins. Jesus suffered for our sins. Jesus suffered, and Jesus not only suffered, he suffered for our sins. Now, as we think about that, Jesus suffering for our sins, Jesus never did anything wrong. Jesus was perfect and holy in all of his actions and all of his attitudes in all of life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse number 19, we find that Jesus is called a lamb without blemish and without spot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 21, it says, And he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Jesus never did anything wrong. So Jesus suffered not for his sins. He suffered for our sins. The picture is, is that sometime in our life, we couldn't do anything right. That that doesn't mean that there weren't some good things that we did along the way. But the truth is, is that all of us have this overwhelming propensity within our sin nature and within our flesh to do what we want to do and to selfishly and sinfully take control of our own lives. 
so that Romans 3.10 would say there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 would say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Jesus, our leader, suffered for our sins, not for his, for ours, with a purpose that he might bring us to God. The picture is kind of a a, a court scene where because of what this person has paid and done, now this person has access to someone higher in authority. And because Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, we now have direct access to God. Hebrews tells tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy that there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and through Christ, we have direct access to God. Anytime, any place, anywhere, no matter what our circumstances are, because Jesus suffered for our sin, and he paid the penalty when he died on the cross and rose again. When we receive him in our life, we can have direct access to God at all times. Jesus suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Listen, you can't bring yourself to God. You can't. You can't work enough, learn enough, do enough, be good enough to earn merit with God. It comes only through Jesus. The only thing that we could accomplish in this whole equation is that we would be the sinner, the one who was unjust, and Jesus would give his life for us. But Jesus not only suffered for our sins, but secondly, we see that Jesus then proclaimed his victory. In verse number 19 is one of the most difficult verses to interpret in all of scripture. Matter of fact, I read somewhere this week that there are some 90 plus interpretations of verse number 19 in and of itself. Okay. So what happens in verse number 19? Notice with me, by whom also He went, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison who were former, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah. This is a difficult passage. Who are the spirits that are in prison and why did Jesus go preach to them? Well, I believe that the spirits that are in prison are not people, but I believe that they are fallen angels. And Jesus' proclamation is not an invitation. It is a victorious herald. Years ago, uh, when we moved to Georgia, 2002, Luke was in the first grade. And I think it was just a couple years later. So Joel probably was probably kindergarten or first grade. And Micah was probably around four. We were at Stone Mountain. And if you've ever been to Stone Mountain, it's a great vacation place and hang out there. But at night... Uh, against the mountain, they have a, a big light and laser and fireworks show. And so we were there one night late and, and there was the fireworks and, and all of this. And they, they broke out in a song my boys had never heard before, which kind of freaked them out just a little bit. The devil came down to Georgia. <laughs> so. My boys knew Missouri, they knew Memphis area, they knew Mississippi, but here we are, been in Georgia, not, not a, just a couple of years, and we find out the devil went down to Georgia. So Micah is probably three or four, he turns to Joel and he says, 
Joel, did, did, did you hear that? The devil went down to Georgia. And Joel looks back with him, and Joel always has a, a wit and, and usually comes out sarcastically, but, but this was not sarcastic. He said, man, the devil's not in Georgia, the devil's in hell. So anyway, that was kind of the end of that conversation. Well, the truth of the matter is, is if you look over in First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8, we find that there is an enemy who goes about this world as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is not in hell today. The devil is very active in our world. Yet, there are some demons, according to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 4, and Jude verse number 6, that are already incarcerated, and they are being held in prison now. Not all the demons. We know that through Jesus' ministry, there was all kinds of demonic activity. We even know today, we can see the signs of demonic activity around us. But there are some demons that are incarcerated uh, today, according to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 4 in Jude 6. And so I believe this traces all the way back. We don't have time to run it, but all the way back to Genesis 6. And now we see that Jesus comes to these uh, spirits, these fallen angels, these demons who are incarcerated, and he proclaims that he has suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring people to God. It is a herald of victory. Jesus is proclaiming that he has won. He's proclaiming it to the demons that were incarcerated at that time. So, Jesus suffered for our sins. Jesus proclaimed his victory. We also see then that Jesus offers salvation. Notice in verse number 20 and 21. Who formerly were disobedient, he's talking about those spirits, the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the flesh, of filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what is this all saying? Well, let me just assure you what it's not saying to begin with. It is not saying that baptism brings salvation. We're called Baptists, and we, we think baptism is important. But baptism doesn't save It never has saved anyone, nor will it ever save anyone. This verse, though, gives the picture of those in Noah's day when God brought judgment upon the earth and the water consumed the earth. That same water that brought judgment upon the earth raised that ark where it would float. And the ark is a picture of salvation. The ark is a picture of salvation, that they were saved from the judgment upon the sinfulness of mankind because of the ark. Now, he gives a picture and says, look, baptism is going to give us a picture as well. It does not remove uh, filth of the flesh, but it pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
It pictures what Jesus did as he faced the judgment. The water judgment came upon the earth and the ark brought salvation. Here, the judgment of God for sin is poured out upon mankind, but Jesus took the punishment. He died for our sins, the just for the unjust, and it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can experience salvation. Baptism does not remove sin. Being dunked in a tank, this is just water from St. Charles County. There's nothing holy and there's nothing special about it. But what it does symbolize when someone is baptized is this. It symbolizes that Jesus was alive and he died the just for the unjust. He paid the penalty for our sin. And then he rose from the dead. Notice those last words in in verse number 21. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is only through Christ and his resurrection that we can have a clean heart and a good conscience. It is not through taking the Lord's Supper. It is not by coming and, and attending church. It is not by being being baptized. It is not by going through a class. It is clearly laid out. It is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And can I tell you today, he offers you forgiveness. He offers it. He offers it to each of us. We have to come to the conclusion that we're sinners. We have to come to the conclusion that we cannot earn or merit on our own access to a perfect heaven with a perfect God because of the things that we've thought or said or done. And then we believe and we put our faith in Jesus. Just as Noah and his family put their faith in that ark and the Lord closed the door, we put our faith in Jesus so that we do not have to face the judgment which is to come. Jesus offers salvation. Then we see, notice the last verse of that chapter. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Now we find Jesus reigns forever. Jesus reigns forever. Jesus is on the throne. All angels and all authorities are under him. One day, he's going to come back to earth and everyone is going to be placed under his authority. And now... Through the sovereign will and work of God, we know that everything that happens in this world, even when we don't understand it, is, is in God's sovereign plan. We, we have a hard time with that. It is impossible for us to grasp the infinite wisdom of God. But there is going to come a day when all, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus reigns forever. For the Lord God, omnipotent reigns, Revelation reminds us. So as we look, we see Jesus, our leader. He suffered. Then he proclaimed his victory. He offers us salvation. And as he think, as we think about this offering salvation, that he is the one who rules and reigns. And if you don't know him, then you're in rebellion to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Then Peter, as we again are reminded that the chapters and verses were not placed in the original writing of Peter, but we find here a a, a conjunction. Therefore, chapter 4, verse number 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. 
Jesus, our leader, as we follow him, we recognize he suffered. And as followers of Jesus, we will suffer. Followers of Jesus will suffer. We're following the leader. We don't follow the leader through just a playground, not through swing sets and up and down slides. As we think about our leader today, he is walking and leading and moving toward those who are unbelieving and those who are not reconciled to God. He is leading and, 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 and calling and beckoning thus uh, us as believers, as light, to go into a dark world so that people can hear and know the truth. And as we walk into a dark world, we have to understand that just as Jesus never did anything wrong but suffered, that we in our life and in our activity may not do things wrong, but we still may suffer as we say, yes, Lord. And go against the culture. Now notice in verse number one. Since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. We're to keep the attitude of Christ. Keep the attitude of Christ. We have to remember that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against spirits and powers. That there's the enemy and the darkness that is around us. So we have to be careful to keep the attitude of Christ. Paul would challenge us in Philippians chapter 2 to, to be servant-minded, to let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We're challenged to keep the attitude of Christ. Have you ever been in the light and then the lights went down and it just took a moment or two? And your eyes adjusted to the darkness. And at that moment, you walked into the dark or the, everything went dark. You couldn't see anything. But in just a matter of a few seconds, with the, the awesome uh, power of the creator who has made us, it allows our eyes to adjust to the darkness around us. As believers, we have to be careful not to allow our lives to adjust to the darkness that's around us, but to keep the light, the flicker, the flame, the good works shining before others, that we are to arm ourselves. It's a military term, that we are to be equipped for battle. You better be equipped for battle as a soldier of the light because you're going to walk into the darkness, and as you walk into the darkness, you have to keep the right kind of attitude, not an attitude of revenge and resentment, not an attitude of, of anger or desiring to lash out, but the attitude of Christ. Keep the attitude. Keep your right attitude. He goes on then to say in verse number two and three that, that he, that, that, that we as, as we're walking no longer should live the rest of our time for the flesh, for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. We're to live for the will of God. People sometimes ask, what's, what's God's will? What's God's will for my life? Can I tell you, God's will for your life is unfolded in the scripture. And the first step of God's will for your life is to know Jesus personally, is to be saved. First Timothy chapter two and verse number four reminds us that God desires all to be saved 
In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, it says, The Lord is not slack or slow concerning his promises as men count slackness, but he is long-suffering or he's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It is God's will that we come and recognize in our life I, I can't just go with the culture. I can't just live in the darkness. I can't just try to, to live selfishly and control everything. I've got to submit to God's will. That's the first step. If you've never taken that step, I would encourage you, today's the day. Paul would challenge the church at Corinth and say, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. He rose again, and he says, now submit to the will of God. Receive forgiveness. Receive me as the boss, the Lord of your life. But he goes on, notice it with me in verse number three. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. That's the will of of sinners, When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Hmm. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in this same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. You need to recognize where you came from. Followers are Jesus. We may suffer. But we have to recognize where we came from. He's saying, look, you used to just walk in the the darkness and the lewdness and the drunkenness and the immorality and the idolatry that was all around you. And as you persisted and you walked in that and you walked in that, and now people are wondering, why aren't you walking like that anymore? Why aren't you running with us to the next party? Why aren't you running to the next beer bash? Why aren't you running to the the greatest and latest idol out there? And they think it's strange that you did a 180 and now because you're walking the other way, they speak evil of you. You got to remember where you came from. That all of those parties and all of that immorality and all of that idolatry may have brought a moment of, of happiness in your life, but it did not solve this picture of inward satisfaction. It did not bring internal peace. It did not bring you closer in your walk with God, but now you've had your eyes opened up and now you're moving in the other direction. And people don't understand it. I don't know where you are today, and I don't know where you came out of. But Peter is saying, look, look at where you are headed. Look at where you may have gone. And give thanks to God that Jesus has changed your life. That Jesus has changed your focus. That Jesus has changed your eternal vision to focus on the things of him. Because this stuff, it never brings peace. This stuff, it never brings happiness. It never brings this internal sense of satisfaction. It may bring a glimpse and a spark of momentary happiness. It may allow you to drown your problems for a little while. It may allow you to shoot something in your vein to feel good for a little little while. It may give you your next uh, conquest of immorality that gives you a thrill for a little while, but he says, look, that's not the answer. 
The answer is what you have in Jesus. And people don't understand it. They, they don't get it. Why don't you do that anymore? Why don't you hang out here anymore? Why don't you walk like this anymore? And when you begin to walk this way, then they say, oh, yeah, we'll tease, we'll ridicule, we'll persecute. And they may even speak evil against us, but it is better, First number 17 of chapter 3 tells us, it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing wrong. For Christ also suffered. And that's the picture that we have. When we turn and we recognize where we came from and we say we're not going that way anymore, it may bring persecution. But then notice what he says. Verse number four. In regard to these, they think it's strange. You do not run to them. Notice verse number five. They will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. He says this, those who persist in this life of turning their back on God and walking in lewdness and walking in in, in the party mode and walking in drunkenness and walking in immorality and walking in idolatry, God's ready to judge them. But there's something different for us. That last verse, this reason the gospel was also, uh, was preached to those who are dead. Now, let me hasten to say that as he says the gospel was preached to those who are dead, it is not that they are dead and, and they got the gospel preached to them when they were dead. They were alive when the gospel was preached to them. Now they are dead. Okay, the gospel was preached to them while they were alive. Now they are dead. But notice what happens in verse number six. That they might be judged according to men in the flesh. What did the people in the flesh say? Oh, that guy, he turned this way. And when he heard the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for his sin and rose again, he began to follow Jesus. And man, that guy, he's a weirdo and we don't want to have anything to do with him. And he's a wimp and he's a sissy and all of these kinds of things. He's judged according to the flesh by all of these. But then notice the end of verse number six. But they live according to God in the spirit. And that brings us to that that picture of know where you are going. While they were on earth and the gospel was preached to them and they were moving in this direction and moving in this direction, the gospel was preached. They turned around. They began to walk this way and people began to judge them in the flesh and say, look at that guy. Look at that girl. What's the matter with them? And now they were judged harshly and persecuted in the flesh. But now they live according to God in the spirit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 8, it says that we uh, who are absent from the body are present with the Lord. We're alive to God in the spirit. For those who are moving in this direction, recognize where you came from and know where you are are going. Jesus laid it out this way to his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
For in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. And I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also alive in the Spirit with God forever and ever. Amen. And that's the hope that we have as believers. And that's the hope that we need right now as a church. Last week, Pastor Jerry preached the funeral for Steve Hudson, who knew Jesus now alive in the spirit with God. Over the last week, we had two elderly saints, Mr. Max Swindle and Miss Roberta Shy, step into eternity. And then the tragic death that you all have been made aware of, of Stefan Abram. And here's the hope that we have as a church. And this is the hope that we have as individuals. That to those of us who have heard the gospel and, and received that in our life, that though we were moving in the wrong direction when the gospel was preached to us and our eyes were open and we began to move in the ways and submit to the will of God, the world might have had their say, but God has the final say. And the final say is there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you know that you know Jesus today? Do you know where you're going? If anything else, we should be reminded that James tells us that our life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. Eternity is forever and ever and ever. And we need to make sure our eternity is sure. If you don't know that you're going to go to heaven today, we invite you, turn to Jesus Don't look for the answers in the world. It's not in the party scene. It's not in the work scene. It's not in the education scene. It's not in the self-improvement scene. It's not in the drowning my sorrows scene. The answer is turn, turn to Jesus. And when you do, you may have some tough times on earth and they may speak evil of you, but God, will have the final word.